Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for Showreel. And uh, I just quickly have to tell you that uh, next week we won't be uh, uh, broadcasting Showreel. We'll be broadcasting Beyond the Bars. And, of course, it's part of NADOC Week and uh, a fantastic uh, uh, series uh, that have been going for many years now, uh, coming out of 3CR, where uh, we go to the uh, various prisons in Victoria and uh, talk to uh, inmates, Aboriginal, uh, Indigenous, First Nation uh, inmates to hear hear their voices. Uh, Fantastic uh, programming, fantastic commitment to the uh, First Nations people. Uh, And uh, so uh, we are honoured to uh, relinquish our um, half hour to uh, the live cross to uh, the... um, uh, Beyond the Barbs broadcast next week. But today we're going to have a chat with a couple of filmmakers. Uh, they're going to have their films shown at the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, which is uh, running 10 days in July, the 21st to the 31st at the Nova in Carlton. And uh, the theme today is creativity. So uh, first up, we're going to hear from uh, Roger Unger, who's made a, uh, a feature called uh, um, Finding Creativity. So here's my chat with Roger. Finding Creativity, what, how did you decide on this particular filmic project? Um, well, I'm a cr- quite a creative person myself, so... Um, you know, I kind of wanted to explore, I guess, the idea of creativity. I kind of know from from my own perspective, but it's kind of an enigma. So it's about kind of um, breaking down, you know, people's creative processes and and just kind of finding out what um, other people's creative process is and, and how they find creativity. So it was kind of really 
just born out of my own curiosity, I guess, for the for the creative process, really, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting the way you've uh, made this film because you've inserted uh, um, interviews with people, but you've done it in a way where you're not excluded from the frame or that that it is an exploration. So can you tell us about how you decided to craft it? Yeah, certainly. Um, I guess I wanted the interviews to come across as very candid and honest. So, um, you know, during the, the production, you know, you sort of see the interview, but then there's also kind of a wide frame where you see, um, <clears throat> excuse me, see the, um, the, the whole setup with the lights and everything. But it's about kind of creating a, um, I guess, a connection with the audience. It seems a little bit more candid, a little bit more um, kind of honest and, you know, including myself. Um, as well, because, you know, this whole documentary um, was my own creative endeavour. So it's, it's kind of like about all of us creatives coming together and, and um, you know, talking about our creative process in a very candid way. Yeah. Yeah. So you had, you had a, um, a scientific, you'd almost say, um, person to speak about yeah. it. Uh, but you also had a collection of people who are engrossed in their own creative endeavours. So how did you find them? Yeah, look, I wanted to have a really generous snapshot of where creativity is used, not just in the arts, because, you know, it's kind of this assumed knowledge that, you know, creativity, you know, a, a painter or, or someone like that would, would be the first thing that pops into mind. But I wanted to really seek out people who, who use creativity. Um, for example, there's a chef, so it's about how he kind of uses his creative process to create these beautiful and just elaborate dishes and just visually sort of stunning and, and also a social entrepreneur. So it was about kind of highlighting how creativity um, is used in so many different ways apart from just the arts. But, um, you know, on top of that there, we've got uh, Dr. Tim Patston and he's a creative educator um, and researcher. So he kind of comes from a pragmatic perspective and kind of breaks it down, you know, to make it more understandable. And so the audience can kind of get more of an understanding of what creativity is, you know, I guess from an emotional perspective, but also the pragmatic components of it all. And also an entrepreneur. Yes. Yeah. Social entrepreneur. So um, yeah, it kind of relates to how, um, you know, in business, um, you know, creativity can be used in innovation, and how, you know, bringing a whole heap of people together to think creatively to solve a problem. Because essentially creativity is problem solving, but it's doing it in a, in a way that's kind of um, very different and innovative and, um, you know, uses a lot of imagination. And, and, you know, you can certainly use that in all aspects of your life, um, including in business as well. So tell me about the research process before you even started. Uh, yeah, so look, it was the research process. Um, I find my, I'm very visceral when I um, create my documentaries. So um, in terms of the research, it was about sort of finding people who, um, you know, had really interesting stories and people who, um, you know, could talk very candidly um, about the creative process. So as a director, I, I, I see myself as a facilitator of information. So you know, I'm trying to find those people and then they're the ones that, that provide the information. Um, you know, so it's about asking the right questions and then getting the information. So I guess the research is, is almost part of the actual filming of it all. It's just asking those right questions and, and you know, getting 
those answers and facilitating them into what will hopefully be a you know a really great narrative that people will resonate with. Did you accidentally find these people, or did you know them, or what? Um, I knew I knew the singer songwriter, so um, Henry Henry Brett. Um, so he he just kind of popped to mind straight away. I thought he'd be really great, and he, you know he speaks so well. Um, and, you know, he's a very creative person. So I, I did actually go go out to seek certain people, but it was just more so, um, you know, I'd come across something like I, I, you know, might be watching Netflix and I see Blown Away, which is um, a show about glass artists. And I thought, gosh, that's a really creative, creative um, field. You know, wouldn't it be great to have a glass artist talk about their creative process? So it was kind of things that, you know, I knew I was going to make this documentary um, but, you know, all of the, you know, the selection of the, the cast, I guess, um, just kind of came through, you know, me letting it kind of flow and letting it let it come to me. Yeah, so you, you're living your life, you've got this particular idea in mind, and then everything that you're doing focuses on what you're seeking. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of, it's, it's almost like a marinating process because, you know, you know, you have an idea that, you know, creativity isn't something that can be forced. Well, well, in my case, it can't be forced. It's usually, you know, those moments when you're walking down the street or, you know, you just kind of have this creative spark and you go, oh, you know, you know that you want to make a documentary, but it's like, gosh, what if, what if I did this? And what if I did that? And then, you know, that's when you kind of quickly write things down and then you kind of look a bit further into it. It's like, oh, you know, I need to have a, a creative educator. You know, that would be a really great aspect. And then you kind of go with that and, you know, you start with a whole bunch of ideas that kind of come in a very visceral way and then you funnel them down. Um, yeah, I guess that's my own kind of creative process, I guess. Um, but everybody has their own different process and, and that's kind of how how I guess it all came together, yeah. Yeah, well, the music uh, plays a big part in this and uh, the tempo at the beginning changes as you are talking to different people. Can you tell me about how you came to the music? Yeah, so the music, I guess, I, I'm a big fan of um, classical music, so I, it's one of the things, I, I like all types of music, but I, I, I really like orchestral sort of stuff. So there's the, the orchestral kind of music comes in, um, you know, and, and it, it adds to sort of the cinematic effect, but also there's, um, you know, you kind of just follow um, how the music kind of plays out the edit, I suppose. It's like, well, this, this is a particularly energetic um, part of the film so I need to put something a bit more energetic in there or you know this person the way that they talk about creativity is, is you know kind of a little bit slower and you know you kind of choose the music according, accordingly and then you kind of um, you know put the edit together um, according to, to kind of how you want it to feel but yeah the, the music kind of was also very a very visceral process as well for me. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, how long did the edit take in relation to the actual shoot? Uh, so the edit was uh, split up. Um, it's hard to say because I, I worked on the edit through other projects that I was working on. Um, so, yeah, I guess look all up the edit probably took about three months or so. But you know, COVID did kind of happen in between, and that kind of did. Um, it was a bit of a struggle to kind of wield, I guess, the creative process and be able to, to do it. You know, if, if you're having a bad day, um, usually the work isn't that good. So I tried to choose the days, you know, when I was in my best um, in order to do it, in order to have a really good, really good edit. But, you know, in general, I would say probably three, 
three months, but it took about a year to, to kind of get to the final cut um, as you see it today. Yeah, so you, you're glad to be having it on the big screen coming up at the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival? Oh, absolutely. No, it's just, just amazing. And, and there's such a great festival. I, I had my um, uh, first film, my first feature documentary uh, screen at um, the festival um, last year. So that was that was really exciting. And, and they've just been so supportive. And for it to have its premiere and to find an audience, it's just amazing, you know, like, you know, you've worked so hard on something and to finally get it out there and for people to see it, it's it's amazing. Like, I, I'm so over the moon, so, so over the moon, and it couldn't go to a better festival. Online and nationwide, right across Australia from the 1st to the 31st of July and at Cinema Nova from the 21st to the 31st of July, Melbourne Documentary Film Festival's Documentary Month showcases the best local and international documentaries. Check out the incredible lineup at mdff.org.au, cinemanova.com.au and watch.eventive.org forward slash mdff and book your tickets and streams today. Melbourne Documentary Film Festival is a 3CR supporter. My name's Molly Reynolds and I make documentaries like Another Country and I support 3CR because it is a radio station that once you start listening to, you can't stop. That's right. That's exactly right. And uh, that was uh, a little chat I had with uh, Roger Unger about his film Finding uh, Creativity. And uh, we're going to now move to a little chat I had with the filmmaker Christian Bursey. He has made this really interesting film. It's called Inner Portrait, a profile of photographic artist R.J. Poole. And uh, the art is extraordinary, but uh, the story, R.J. Poole's story, is extraordinary, especially at the moment. Uh, He used to be an SAS officer, so it's not just about his art. It's about his... um, regeneration after the brutality of his experience as an SAS officer, which you've got to admit is pretty um, uh, topical at the moment. So it's interesting on a whole lot of levels. I really enjoyed the film. I I was really interested in um, how you made the film. I mean, I, I looked up, uh, it says that you make documentaries about overlooked people and underappreciated things. So tell me about your film uh, journey. So um, it kind of started six years ago um, when I when I kind of started at uni and I, I really just wanted to make films that were important. Um, I know like I've had this experience where when you tell people you're a filmmaker or you want to make films, they kind of look at you like you're crazy, you know? And I, you know, I can tell what they're thinking. They're thinking like, uh, oh, he thinks he can be Steven Spielberg or something like that. Uh, but the truth is, you know, growing up, like I never liked Steven Spielberg or his films. I always liked like smaller, independent, like horror films and also documentaries. So kind of what, 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 I, what I wanted to do is kind of just help uh, people kind of be, spread awareness of the impressive people and the important people uh, that I met. Um, and that's kind of been a big, a big part of my process. 
Well, this particular film, Portrait, uh, Inner Portrait, is about a very fascinating person. Um, so, RJ Poole, <coughs> how did you actually get to meet him? Um, so, it was through my, my ex-girlfriend. Um, so, she was uh, one of his models. Um, and she's from that, that area uh, up in New South Wales. Um, so, yeah, she grew up there. Her, her mum was one of his photography students and she actually suggested her. Um, so she's actually in a lot of the pictures in the film. Uh, and yeah, it was like a really, um, really interesting year because like our, our relationship was kind of ending while I was making this film. Um, and I was doing it as part of honours for, for, at RMIT as well. So there was kind of like a lot of, a lot of things happening all at once. And it was kind of, yeah, it was a very difficult year of my life, obviously with COVID as well. Um, a lot of things were changing on the fly. Um, like a lot of students in the class, there was like a few other media students doing honours and because of COVID, they all committed to this idea that uh, like making a film was impossible in this environment. And so I kind of made my research about like part of, par- partially about like how do you make a film in this environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so some of it is um, some of it is done by Zoom, but it's pretty Good quality zoom. I mean, the whole film is very good, high quality. Yeah, I mean, the images are high quality. Yeah, it's actually not zoom. It's um, I, what I did was I basically because he's a photographer, so I kind of uh, lucked out a little bit where I, I basically just told him he knows how to frame himself up, he knows how to use a camera. So I just told him like um, I sent him like some some like a shot list, and I just said like you know get a shot of you driving, get a shot of you walking across the yard, just like little little bits and pieces to kind of glue the interview together and then he just set himself up uh you know uh he, he set his own backdrop he set his own camera up um and i just interviewed him uh by phone so i'm just speaking to him on loudspeaker for those interview shots but yeah i really i didn't want to do zoom like my my professors were saying like you know don't worry about the quality it's more about the research but I don't know, like, I really cared about getting the best quality possible, so I just did what I could. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually uh, heard um, a discussion about this particular thing about quality during Zoom World, and uh, other peop- other filmmakers came... Uh, Alex Gibney, he was talking about how he made a film uh, and created a whole... Uh, it, it, he didn't want to use Zoom either. The quality was too low. So he created, he got with other people, he created a system. Uh, 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 um, uh, but you, you've come up with a different solution. And the, uh, uh, the level of quality in this film was very impressive. Well, I, it's funny. I, um, I, was, I, I kind of was thinking of, uh, do you know, you know you've obviously we know of Errol Morris, um, the, a very uh, popular filmmaker, and he uh, he invented this uh, this like thing called the interatron to like where you you the you, the subject is looking straight down the barrel of the camera, and they can see his face at the same time. And I was thinking like if I can <laughs> if I can emulate something like that, you know that that's kind of because I, I use Errol Morris a lot in my research. So like I, I really wanted to I used I, I'd have to credit Errol Morris for like my inspiration where he kind of. Um, I, he made me understand that you don't need to be in the room um, and to, to, to get the subject to feel like they're talking to you, like you just really need to be able to talk to them. But in, in, in my case, he didn't even see me. But, um, but it also helped, I will say, I had been there in the past. Like I had, I've actually stayed at Rod's house a few times. Um, so, yeah, like I, I knew like the environment. I knew the, um, his, his, what his yard looked like and, 
And so I, I kind of had in my head, like what I wanted to get before I, I, you know, the, the plans to, to go up there. I originally planned to travel up there and film him, but obviously with COVID, it, I couldn't. So yeah, I think it helped that I had been in that environment before. So I, I kind of already knew what I wanted. Yeah, yeah. Very impressive. Um, we should go to the actual subject. I mean, he quite clearly had a story he wanted to tell. Yes. Oh, absolutely. He suggested to me to make the film, I should say. Yeah. So he, um, because it's actually really compelling. Oh yeah. Like, and I, again, like I'd spoken to him about this stuff, like sort of off the record. Um, and so when he kind of said to me, like, you know, I think we should do a film. I was ready to go. Like I, I had just done a film about, um, just very briefly, just about like a, my graduation film was about like this, uh, bag maker in Melbourne central. Um, I'll just do them a very quick plug. It's called Beekeeper Parade and it's all for a good cause. So if anyone needs a backpack or anything like that, yeah, definitely look up Beekeeper Parade and, and it, uh, all the money, uh, not all of it, but a lot of the proceeds go to um, like underprivileged kids in Cambodia. So yeah, definitely look into Beekeeper Parade. So anyway, he saw that film, Rod did, and he, he, was, he was really impressed with it. Um, and he basically just told me, he's like, you know, I think there was some good ideas in that and I would love for you to make a film um, kind of, you know, about me in, in a similar kind of style. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that's actually incredibly, um, uh, you know, you must have felt a very uh, 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 gratified by that because uh, for people who um, are aware of what's been going on uh, around um, SAS uh, forces in Afghanistan, this film will be absolutely riveting. I mean, it, it's got several elements running through this. It's not not just his character, but his incredible images. His art is so amazing. Yeah, he's he's um he got nominated for the uh, I think it's called the National Portrait Prize in in Canberra. He's he's been in plenty of um like festivals and and you know he's, he's been nominated for like a lot of awards and things. And he's won some awards too. Like he's he's quite well known. Um, I should say like he's not. Yeah. yeah, he's he's very he's quite successful. He's he knows what he's doing. His his um his art is fantastic, and he he has like a, a story to tell, and his art is connected to his story. Um, there, and so I wanted to kind yeah. of I wanted to kind of capture that in the film. Like, how do I kind of abstract what he's saying uh, in the images that he takes, um, but kind of also add meaning to what he's saying with the images. Yeah, because uh, the reason why I bring it up is because, of course, he was an SAS man. He w- he was a soldier. Now he is this, he's like this link between that kind of world and the artistic world, which is it's it, quite extraordinary. Your film is quite extraordinary film. Well, thank you for saying that. I think it's all, to be honest, a lot of it is Rod because yeah, he's an extraordinary subject. You're, you're right. He's a very unique subject. I don't think there are many, um, SAS soldiers doing any type of art. Um, not, not that I know of. I, there, there probably, there probably is some, but he's the only one I've ever, I've ever even heard of. Um, and he's, and also everything is timing. Um, I, again, like I lucked out that my subject happened to be a photographer. And I, and I lucked out that, you know, the Brereton report came out the same year that I was making a film about an SAS subject. Yeah, yeah, it's, quite, it, it's really to the point. Um, and I can't, uh, it, was it difficult to edit? Oh, like or docu- was your script? So I, to be honest, documentary editing, I, I, I mean, everyone, I guess, has their own style, but I really don't really go with a script. I kind of just go, with, go in with a set of questions, um, but again, like I don't, I'm not too rigid to the questions. My, my style is to kind of just um, cast a very wide net 
talk, try to get them to open up and talk about as much things as possible. Um, and then kind of from there, I just, I just edit and edit and edit. I, I spent over a year um, editing this film. Uh, so my, my honors started in like February and I didn't finish it until uh, like early March, uh, late February this year. So it's, it was like one full year of, of um, little bit of prep, but then um, kind of building off a lot of the questions built off conversations I had already had with him. Uh, and then I had like, gosh, I had hours of footage, just that in like, you know, we did a couple of interviews and they, it went, they went to those hours, just hours and hours. And sometimes there's an issue there. Cause I, I, I tend to, um, there's this, uh, analogy of like when you, when the haystack's too big, it becomes hard and hard to find the needle. Uh, and so I, I do that. I definitely am guilty of just getting a very massive haystack. And then, you know, I kind of, um, I burdened myself with, with trying to find a needle in this huge, huge, huge haystack. But, you know, at the end of the day, he had a lot of interesting things to say. And there were so many threads to open up. But I, what I wanted to do was kind of focus in on the trauma. Um, I've had uh, experience of this interviewing as well. There is those different types of styles. And I was going to say that uh, you must have found things out that you didn't expect to find oh absolutely i like i knew that he had gone through this this traumatic um like training but i really didn't know like the extent of it and i, and I wanted to learn like i wanted to i wanted him to really spell it out for us and 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 talk about it so that people kind of um don't just get like the idea of what might have happened but that they actually know know like this is how far it went um and to be honest there's, there's probably a lot of things that he still hasn't said you know, there's, there's, there's probably a lot of, we, I always feel like we could, we could have gotten further. Uh, but at the same time, like I was just talking about this, um, you know, what, what he talks about just getting stripped naked and put being put in stress positions. And I was just talking to this, um, about this to one of my friends and like another one of our friends was in the room and she said, Oh, please stop talking about this. I can't, I can't handle this anymore. So it's like, not, it's not for everyone. Not everyone is, um, is, uh, I don't know, like willing to kind of, uh, be exposed to this. No, no, you were pretty tasteful. Well, no, no, you, you, you make it clear, but you don't, but you don't um, uh, uh, um, wallow in it. You know what I mean? That's one of the um, subtleties of the film. It, it's very clear. I, I found it very compelling and very clear, and I think you did a really good job. Well, th- thank you for saying that. You know, I, I, I really appreciate to hear things like that. I, um, yeah, well, like you're saying, like wallowing in it, it would be, it would be a disservice. You know, like I want to touch on it and I want to kind of like show, show how far we can go, but I don't want to just make the film only about one thing because he has this fantastic art. And also, you know, we should probably talk about Anna Nordstrom as well. I think her art's fantastic and she doesn't... I, I was really going to get onto her. Yeah, I was going to ask, um, how did that happen? How did Anna get into the film? So she is, you know, as the film says, she's her ex-partner. And the first time I went to see Rod... Um, uh, my, my, my girlfriend at the time, she said, oh, you've got to meet Rod. You'll love him. You guys will get along so well. You have so many things to talk about. And we, we did, really. Like, every time I've seen him, we just we chat for just hours. And so, you know, Anna was his girlfriend at the time, and, we, we, you know, I chatted with her for hours as well. And I just I knew she was a very interesting person and would have a very interesting take. She, she'd been with Rod for, like, over 10 years. So I knew that there were things that, that she could talk about, and not just about Rod, but also about what it's like to be an artist uh, in the Northern Rivers, where they're from, where there's this whole like vibrant art community that um, they're really, honestly, they are to, to an extent overlooked, and they're they're kind of in this um, 
kind of this corner of the world where no one really knows not only like who they are, but really what's, what's going on up there, you know? But if you, if you go up there and you kind of see some of these art communities, the, the art is just phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, Australia's like this, isn't it? Um, as soon as you uh, go from a city, it's just a completely different land, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And just to be honest, I haven't done that enough. So, like, the first time I, I, I did that really was visiting Rod, and it, it was a shock to me. Like, I, I had no idea that, um, you know, I've always been a city person, and I had no idea that, you know, I was missing, I was missing out on so much. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Because um, I was very impressed. I think it's a really interesting film, but it's also incredibly good quality film. I was really taken by the level of quality in your film and also the subject, of course. Yeah, well, I mean, God, I, we, again, we could probably talk here for, for hours, you know. I, I, I don't, it's hard to, like, think about specific things. I guess um, I'd say to filmmakers, any filmmakers that might be listening, um, I think documentary is a good, a good option um, over fiction uh, because you can make a film about something rather than just making a film that celebrates film. Um, and, geez, I guess I, I want to thank um, my, my ex-girlfriend, Julia McIver, for introducing me to Rod. And um, she actually did the poster as well. And, and she, she, she helped me on a lot of things. Um, and I'd like to thank uh, Rod, and, Rod and Anna. They were fantastic uh, interviewees and, and just terrific subjects. Um, and lastly, I'll thank my, uh, my honours supervisor, Stephen Gaunson, uh, Dr. Stephen Gaunson from RMIT, terrific supervisor. Um, some days, like, I definitely was not my best self and didn't always put in the best work. But, you know, in the end, it, it all kind of came together in, in just such a phenomenal way. Oh, and also, it's great to know that it's going to be on the big screen at uh, the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival. Oh, yeah, I should. <laughs> the, the, the reason we're here, yeah, I should. I should have mentioned <laughs> that too. Um, yeah, it was also part of St Kilda Fest as well, which was, which is just um, uh, another terrific thing for me. Like, I honestly, I didn't think this was going to happen. I, uh, I felt like uh, during the year last year, I was getting like criticised to an extent, and I just, I didn't know really what I was doing. Um, but I just stuck through, stuck through it, and I. I just didn't give up and I just kept working on it. And then even after I finished my honours, I kept working on the film. I felt like the film wasn't finished. So, yeah, I guess like um, I'd like to say, you know, hard work pays off, dreams come true and uh, tough times don't last. <laughs> Good on you, mate. Thanks for talking to me. Thanks so much, Annie. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.